0: Welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast, recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute, IMPRI, New Delhi. Namaste and good evening. I, Chavi Jain, researcher at IMPRI, Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav evam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan, Nai Dili extend my warmest welcome to you all to IMPRI, hashtag web policy talk. Today, we have gathered here for a special talk on regional futures and the dynamics of digitalization as urbanization. This discussion is a part of the series, hashtag city conversations organized by IMPRI Center for Habitat, Urban, and Regional Studies. The moderator for today's session is Dr. Soumyadeep Chattopadhyay, Associate Professor at Vishwabhati, Shanti Niketan, and visiting senior fellow at INPRI. Welcome, sir. Thank you. We are privileged to be joined this evening by our esteemed speaker, Professor Ayona Dutt, Professor of Human Geography, at University College, London, UK. Mam's broad research interests are in post-colonial urbanism, smart cities, gendered citizenship, and regional futures. Her research is set in the ethos of co-production with grassroots communities using digital mapping, visual and participatory research methods to develop and build gendered capacity in the digital and urban margins. Her research has contributed to understanding how the digital revolution in the global south has transformed everyday urban and gendered geographies. Ma'am is also the editor of the internationally referred journal, Urban Geography, and is on the editorial boards of several international journals, such as Antipode, Dialogues in Human Geography, Digital Geography and Society, Society and Space, and Territory, Politics, and Governance. In 2019, ma'am received the Bust Medal from the Royal Soci- Geographical Society for her work on smart cities. Thank you for joining us, ma'am. Our discussants for today are Miss Anvesha Aditi, Research Assistant, Learning from Small Cities Project, at University College London, UK. Mr. Sameer Unhale, Joint Commissioner, Department of Municipal Administration at Government of Maharashtra. Dr. Surajit Chakravarti, Associate Professor at School of Public Policy, Indian Institute of Technology, Delhi and Professor Tathagata Chatterjee, Professor of Urban Management and Governance, at Xavier Institute of Management, Bhuvaneshwar. A very warm welcome to all our discussants. Now, I invite Dr. Samyadeep to proceed with the deliberation. We look forward to learning from our esteemed gathering. Thank you and over to you, sir.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Shavi, and a very good evening uh, to all of you from Shantunikatan. And uh, on behalf of the Center for Habitat, Urban, and Regional Studies at IMPRI, I welcome you all uh, to this City Conversation Series. And this City Conversation Series engages in dialogues and debates on key challenges and opportunities regarding uh, sustainable urban development, municipal governance, and uh, the related issues. And IMPRI invites a wide range of uh, stakeholders, such as uh, the practitioners academia are representatives of civil society organizations, international organizations, think tanks in this series and uh, today's topic of discussion is uh, very interesting and this urbanization and digital transformation as we know are uh, two essential features of today's world. Uh, digitalization is considered as one of the key enablers of uh, sustainable development of cities, socioeconomic dynamics and there is a growing a body of research that has highlighted the significance of uh, digitalization, the use of data and uh, digital technology to build more efficient and livable urban environment and manage uh, the impact of uh, rapid urbanization, demographic and climate change. And many cities are in fact, investing in digital technology to improve uh, urban planning, to to foster equitable economic growth and uh, to deliver Uh, services more efficiently and more comprehensive Special information can can provide better assessments of development issues across different scales, Uh, uh, for example, uh, the place-based inequalities between neighborhoods and and their aggregate expression uh, at the the city level. Now, this pandemic has served to bring many of these challenges into sharp focus. So in a sense, uh, this digitalization promises to revolutionize. Uh, this urban planning and policy in general and and the way uh, citizens and stakeholders leave uh, work and collaborate and communicate in particular but there are there are several complexities as well uh, these are uh, related to issues of say the capacity building then multi-stakeholder uh, coordination uh, most of the cities are as we know uh, are struggling with uh, fragmented management and and lack of uh, integrated strategic vision and practice. The models of governance remain largely ad hoc. So these are also pro- there are there are also problems of uh, uh, digital illiteracy and and these barriers in access to to devices that that limit access to information and uh, increase the vulnerabilities. Now this may exacerbate the existing inequalities and and forego uh, the economic and and civic solutions that are that are fair and inclusive. So in fact uh, uh but, but but we are yet to fully comprehend uh, these complexities for example uh, how uh, does the use of a new data uh, help to fill gaps in knowledge and shape urbanization how can new data help public and and the uh, and, and the private stakeholders to develop services that are better adapted to citizens need and and promote sustainable urban development then how do the digital technologies and their uses contribute to the strengthening of the urban planning and management and how these new forms of urban practices uh, which are which are co-produced with the emergence of these data driven urbanism and most importantly does this digitalization increase or reduce the socio spatial inequalities now uh, to understand uh, some of these issues we are fortunate to be joined by professor ayana datta and some of the india's leading urban experts and and practitioners and Today's topic of discussion is regional futures and the dynamics of digitalization as urbanization. So with these few words, I once again uh, welcome you all uh, to this uh, this, uh, uh, city uh, conversation series. And it's over to Professor Datta for your uh, lecture. So it's over to you, ma'am.
2: Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this really interesting series. I had a look earlier and I saw that I'm uh, I'm part of a long line of very important uh, speakers before me. So um, thanks again. I really appreciate you reaching out, uh, particularly in a context where we're all kind of homebound. We've been homebound for two years and it's, it's really great to be able to have these uh, conversations internationally. So what I will do is I'll, I'll share my screen now so then I can talk through some of the stuff so you can see this right great so so what i want to talk about today is of course regional features and it's kind of a development of some of the work that we've been doing in uh, several uh, projects in the past few years um and uh, I want to suggest today that we need to think beyond just the urban, we need to think beyond the urban into uh, the regions, because the urban has a a much wider footprint. And and the key argument is that uh, this urbanization uh, or the regional feature that we might imagine, not just in India, but generally across the global south, has to be thought through with a process of digitalization that's been shaping governance and territorialization for a very very um, long time but also much more significantly and intensely for the past uh, decade or so so uh the talk is regional features the dynamics of digitalization is urbanization in the global south and i just wanted to start with thanking some of the funders erc which is the european research council the UK Economic and Social Research Council and the British Academy. Some of these, uh, uh, these three have been funders, very generous funders of the work that we've done so far. So just to start with the idea of digitalization as urbanization, I want to again reiterate that in the last two decades, there's been a continuous push from global organizations such as United Nations, World Bank, et cetera, and even national governments towards what I calls a technological entrepreneurialism, um, telling municipalities again and again to adapt digitalization or die. Um, so you need to get digitalization fully implemented in municipal systems. And in line with the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, the UN recommends that future territorial strategies should have a focus on subnational productivity and competitiveness enhanced very crucially by digital technologies. So digital technologies, as you've already highlighted, is is here to stay. Um, But initiatives to adopt smart technologies in local governments start with the claim that the opportunities that are being presented by digitalization will resolve all the challenges of urbanization. And, And again, as you very rightly highlighted, and many scholars have already highlighted, that this is not necessarily a simple um function of digitalization equals to urbanization or vice versa it does not necessarily resolve the challenges because we're probably not asking the right kinds of questions so what is digitalization um it's been defined various ways by different scholars but i'm and I'm, I'm adopting the current one by viran and car saying that digitalization is the transformation of all sectors of our economy government and society based on the large-scale adoption of existing and emerging digital technologies. This is largely, of course, attributed to what is called the fourth uh, fourth, um, industrial revolution, where the proliferation of technologies has led to transformation of in all aspects of municipal governance. Digitalization, therefore, is now seen to have brought about a fundamental transformation in the ways that the state sees represents and governs its territories and populations. So much of the way that the state now understands who is its citizen, who is its subject, uh, but also what are these geographies that the subject belongs to is often seen through the lens of digital technologies. Um, And in the last decade or so, encounters with uh, digital and information technologies have transformed municipal governance particularly um, recently with, with the kind of current policies around smart cities, digital India, et cetera. But what I want to also argue that these come at the back of long accumulative histories of information revolution in the global south. But the lack of attention to these kind of dynamics of of what is now understood as a digital turn in urbanization uh, or even in urbanism, but also generally a digital turn in in all aspects of society, has uh, really not enabled us to uh, get to grips with what are really the challenges of municipal governance, what are its fault lines, what are also perhaps some of its strengths. But then uh, again, what we have lost out primarily as a result of this, is uh, the implications that this has on regional urbanization or metropolitan uh, urban growth uh, and this is this i argue is, is a major gap in uh, current urban and regional studies So my talk today will suggest that we are seeing the emergence of a logics of digitalization as urbanization that these two processes are appearing very much in tandem with each other, not necessarily parallel and independent, but very much connected to each other. Uh, That the transition to automated planning processes in metropolitan regions and its impact on regional urbanization cannot be separately understood. I want to highlight three different aspects. The first is the rescaling of the state within automated governance and planning systems. That is the uh, kind of the, the, the crux of how the state has itself transformed with digital technologies. And B, I want to highlight that the governance of uh, information infrastructures uh, has always been fractured and always been a challenge for regional futures because we are in a a legacy of colonial governance, which has largely been paper-based. And so what we are seeing now is more or less hybrid paper and digital information systems, which are not, again, necessarily speaking to each other seamlessly. And the third point C is how then this impacts on the governance of digital territorial peripheries that are leading to a number of hybrid subaltern politics around digitalization, but also territorialization, the kind of land appropriation, evictions, et cetera, et cetera. So my main take home message here today is that contemporary urbanization in the global South is both a product, but also a producer of the information revolution that we see around us. Um, So even as digitalization uh, and urbanization have become intricately linked, the digital has also now pervaded every aspect of state bureaucracy. The last two decades of rolling out of e-governance across the Global South Has enabled the state across all scales from the local the urban regional to the federal scale to alter the terms and conditions of what was its earlier developmental agenda or a welfarist agenda and as Pradeep Thomas argues digitalization of the state through e-governance and a shift to digitized service and welfare access embodied what he says quote a deeply rooted technological determinism that assumes that the layering of ICTs in development will automatically solve the many issues related to the provision of access to this information. And there are, of course, many, many critiques of e-governance, which we are very familiar with, um, because they they kind of have highlighted the false lines uh, of this digital divide, the, the people who have access and people who don't have access, people who have the capacity and people who don't have the capacity, that reinforces existing societal hierarchies that we see currently shaping our sort of subaltern politics. Um, And the development challenges thereby then then faced by municipalities are are numerous. They are numerous in delivering um, online citizen services, taxation, revenues, property registers, ID, income taxes, but they have not paid attention to the ways that this actually transforms the nature of urbanization of the region I and mean, there's been a lot of talk about Aadhaar and a lot of talk about various aspects of society, but the the links to urbanization is perhaps not as as much talked about. In India particularly, where e-governance was initiated over two decades ago, um, recently two national programs, as you all know, Digital India and 100 Smart Cities, which was launched in 2014, uh, gave new directives for geospatialization of metropolitan regions uh, and the growth of greenfield urbanization. Large-scale adoption of digital infrastructures and platforms across state departments was specifically directed towards mapping informal settlements and property ownership because property ownership increases the tax base as well. So this has led to uh, the emergence of new kinds of state spaces within these depart- within these municipalities, such as the new ITGIS departments that are evident in small, particularly in smaller peripheral municipalities that are created particularly for the purpose of producing detailed geospatial maps of metropolitan regions. And these initiatives thereby have profoundly transformed the dynamics of urbanization by rescaling regional governance to local municipalities, decommissioning paper-based planning processes and diversifying territorial information, and therefore literally automating new kinds of urban futures, particularly in the peripheries of metropolitan regions. So today I wanted to uh, think about this this uh, process, uh, not uh, exactly talking in depth about any kind, any kind of the, the work that we've done, but kind of drawing upon all the work that we've done and kind of giving three uh, uh, a couple of arguments around this. Um, uh, so I'm drawing upon a number of projects where my collaborators and I have been working on smart cities initiatives to really understand how the tools and technologies of digitalization have been used to imagine, govern, and live in the future smart city. We've we've studied a number of cities, um, interviewed a range of state and non-state actors, starting from municipal commissioners, smart city CEOs, officials in the mayor's offices, civil servants in different state departments, private sector actors, professionals, ITGIS uh, actors, civil society actors, but also hawkers, vendors, shopkeepers, Um, and and all sorts of ordinary citizens, all of who have been directly or indirectly stakeholders in this process of um, digitalization as urbanization. Uh, And we have focused mostly on smaller cities, the tier two cities in India, because these are the ones that are most affected by the digitalization as as urbanization process. Uh, And these are uh, largely the ones who are most faced by the challenges of digitalization since they have lesser resources, lesser capacity and so on. And these also are the ones that have been commissioned to prepare new master plans in conjunction, uh, often with smart city projects through a full automation of governance and planning. So uh, our work has been mainly with these smaller cities that are in the process rather than having reached uh, the the kind of ultimate of digitalization in their governance and planning. And, and one of those cities that I'll talk about today is Pivandi, is but I mean the, we've, we've looked at several cities. And here, this is a gra, this is a slide of the methodologies that we've used. As you can see, there's numerous methodologies, multi uh, multi-method analysis, and starting, as I said, with the interviews, where we did uh, extensive GIS mapping, which really was looking at the historiography of urban transformations, drawing upon census data, drawing upon physical information. Infrastructures, drawing upon uh, regional satellite images, looking at how urban growth has happened over decades. Um, then we also used a software called Map My Assets, which was very much a kind of participatory grassroots software that uh, participants could use to actually map their tangible or even intangible assets in the cities that they belonged to, um, even photographs, uh, voice um, notes, um, videos, et cetera. We did a number of community asset mapping workshops with our local citizens civil society actors stakeholders in these cities, and then, of course, as I suggested, we did a number of stakeholder workshops. Uh, um, especially with some civil servants uh, look showing our uh, our findings and having discussions with them. So in all of these cities, uh, what we we found was that these these cities are all marked by the geographies and historiographies of colonization. They're marked by urban uneven development and a fragmented digital revolution, particularly in local governments. And thus, they presented us very important insights into the processes of this this connection between digitalization and urbanization. and so these these cities, as we as I argued already, they have strategic regional plans in place for urbanizing their principal uh, peripheral regions. Um, either they want to do this through industrial development, or through greenfield development, or through mega infrastructure projects. Um, and and this has been kind of. Uh, evident in repeatedly in in several of our cities. These are also municipalities which hold mainly agricultural and industrial economies, for example, Bivandi is a very good, uh, very classic case of that. Um, It has a very strong Palum sector that's kind of a really historical legacy but it's also got uh, peripheral villages that's that's mainly agricultural based, but Bivandi is also the hub of e-commerce in India and perhaps even in South Asia where all the Amazon and Flipkart e-commerce warehouses have relocated there. So looking at cities like this, uh, what we understand is they produce for the first time uh, a really interesting comparative reading of of cities that are rapidly transforming across the global south, rapidly digitalizing, rapidly um, expanding their uh, urban growth. um, and they they, for, they present us with both exemplary, but also paradigmatic, paradigmatic cases of digitalization and um, digitalization of two things, um, digitalization of information, but also digitalization of territory. So uh, let's start with information, um, and particularly information, what, what I would suggest falling upon uh, Susan Lay-Star's work on information infrastructures, you know, what are the inform- information infrastructures that make this connection between digitalization and urbanisation, particularly in municipal governance. Uh, And I would argue that uh, information infrastructures are not seamless between paper and digital and they are always existing as hybrid information systems. Um, Starting particularly from early colonial mapping to the establishment of census and data sets to most recent initiatives of e governance, the governance of information in various forms and formats has established has often, maybe perhaps always, established the rule of law and power of the state. And as Albert Meijer wrote, the state enacts what he quotes, a politics of data collection, data storage, data usage, data visualization, and data access, unquote, through its information infrastructures. So governance of information is more than just verifying its it's, uh, its kind of integrity or verifiability. It is what Agarwal and Kumar have argued, it is a political weapon, whereby information infrastructures reveal new territories and populations that are ripe for governance. So information is not simply instantaneously challenged, it is bound to infrastructures of indexing, coding, storage, retrieval, analysis, representation, and even destruction. Um, So, I want to argue that um, information infrastructures uh, are produced often through the standardization uh, of its own standardization and rigidity, and therefore it's fundamentally relational. Any kind of information that we have about territories, about geographies, particularly around the peripheral territories, is fundamentally relational to what can or cannot be made visible about these territories, what can or cannot be, be knowable about these territories. Susan Starr, particularly, whose work is well-established in the, in, the no, in the context of information infrastructures, describes information infrastructures as both, quote, material artifacts collected by people, constructed by people, and, quote, a trace or record of activities. And most recently, uh, information infrastructures, therefore, are described as, quote, uh, the whole array of organizational forms, practices, and institutions that accompany, make possible and inflect the development of new technology, um, their related practices and their distributions. So taken together, it can be understood that new technologies continuously change the ontological reality of information in ways that make the distinction between information and storytelling uh, and, and the inherent logics produce the inherent logics or the contradiction of digital age or the digitalization of information. Now, we have a lot of work done already in anthropology on the paper state, on uh, the everyday state, particularly around paper infrastructures. And these anthropologies of everyday state examine paper as a site of bureaucracy. But they don't necessarily investigate its role or relationship to actual digitalized state spaces. So you have the work of many people like Akhil Gupta or Matthew Hull uh, or even Anika Marthor, who looks at the paper infrastructures of knowledge and how the state uses paper bureaucracy in a way to govern. Um, but Uh, it's not really clear how does that then flow into becoming digital information which then is also used by the local governance or even state or federal governance to govern its territories and populations. Paper in its materiality as well as in its kind of semiotic and symbolic forms assembles assembles specific flows of information between state institutions and civil society paper establishes mechanisms of power, control and authority, both both for those who hold them, but also for those who uh, are denied its possession. Uh, Yet transferring information held in paper to digital formats means developing new infrastructures for digital storage, retrieval, quality control, data assurance and secure transmission and these are some of the municipal record rooms in places like jalandhar shimla etc which hold uh, you know decades and particularly for shimla hundreds of years of Uh, municipal records on land ownership, planning permissions, planning permits, Um, on the left you see maps of unauthorized colonies uh, in Jalandhar held for many, many years. How was this information being actually transferred, uh, translated into digital formats, into GIS maps that are then used to govern, to see, to visualize particular territories by the state? Uh, so it's transferring information held in paper to digital formats uh, means developing new infrastructures, but in this process paper can simultaneously lose meaning as well as acquire increased value within digitalization processes. So while paper records are destroyed, audit trails can be broken, the materiality of paper loses value sometimes in strategic planning, but the information infrastructures of paper remain key to the verifiability of digital information, particularly in information scarce regions so if you go to the slums as for well, the settlements paper documentation hold really increased value because those are the documentations that can sometimes prove um, uh, claims to particular kinds of land particular kinds of property so um, although in across india there are several challenges to the digitalization of land and property records due to often mutilation or missing paper documents customary land occupation, multiple claims to same property, mismatch between paper and geospatial maps, um, and often also poor digital capacity of municipal officials to read these digital data. Yet, when it faces significant challenges of physical storage, maintenance and indexing, the process of settling these contested claims have always been to trace what Emma Tarlow has argued, the paper truths. Let's go back to the paper document and see what it has said. And if the paper document doesn't exist, then rights or claims to particular kinds of lands and properties also is deemed to not exist. So let's take the case of Bhivandi municipal um, or Bhivandi Nizampur metropolitan area, which is uh, really at this point at a really early stage of municipal digitalization and initialization of sort of its its own automated planning systems. Uh, and this is on the left hand side, a screenshot from uh, their website, uh, which says we are on a mission to digitalize um, Bhivandi city. Uh, and this, this is uh, sort of uh, you can see when you go to the departments they have got this new departments of um, uh, um, new departments of it uh, and they are trying to transfer all of the paper documentation that they hold into machine readable or, or gis readable documentation Vivendi um, recorded 709,000 population in 2011 census and, and we're still waiting for the 2021 census uh, records, but it also has a floating population of 800,000 migrant men coming to work in its power factories and warehouses, living mainly in informal settlements that are as yet unmapped and therefore invisible to these these paper documents or even to digital documents. Although Bivandi in the past has been bypassed repeatedly by national urban development policies, including the earlier JNNURM program of e-governance and, and, and most recently the, the 100 Smart Cities Initiative does not include Bivandi. but under the National uh, Land Records Modernization Program, that is the NLRMP of the Government of India, Bivandi has, been, has embarked upon scanning and digitalization all of its land records. The aim is to automate land records, establish a modern record room, digitalize cadastral maps, um, integrate textual and spatial data, computerized registration, and integrate all of this with core GIS and capacity building initiatives. Yet in 2015, it was found that electronic records were being manipulated and therefore the municipality switched to paper records uh, as authentic proof of documentation. But despite this, in 2020, the newly elected municipal government embarked on a full digitalization program in line with the National Digital India Initiative to create what they called, quote, the Bivandi, the first Bivandi Strategic Master Plan of 2036. Sorry, I'm just looking at the chat. I thought this was a warning for time to me. I don't know what, how we're doing on time. Um, So uh, the Bhivandi case then is a striking example of structural, social, and territorial peripheralization presenting stark disparities even with other municipalities. Uh, We will examine the challenges that has already presented to municipal officials with very low digital capacity, charged with digitalization of paper documents, and and they're charged with producing the strategic and land use planning frameworks. And for the first time now, Bivendi has launched into kind of physical survey and actually saying, well, let's not just go buy these paper data because paper data may be incomplete. Uh, Let's actually do a first physical survey of Bivendi metropolitan area in order to put this on a GIS map. So uh, governing information therefore involves temporal rescaling of state spaces and networks, since state actors must work with the differential rhythms of state spaces in order to bring them within what um, Sarah Sharma has called speedy time of automated planning. While municipal officials and state departments have been slowly digitizing paper records, maps, lists, forms and other forms of information in digital formats in order to automate bureaucracy and citizen services. These processes of information retrieval, translation into digital formats and integration with centralized systems, as I said, are not often seamless and often highly selective. So the tempos of state departments working with bureaucratic mechanisms of paper while slowly and laboriously transferring paper into digitalized formats, civil servants are grappling with the demands of new apps while maintaining the flow of communications across state spaces. And the tempos of paper information vis-a-vis digital data, the tempos of territorial information captured through satellites and drones vis-a-vis that of everyday life in the metropolitan peripheries, all of these sort of conflicts and contestations reveal the multiple asynchronicities of digitalization as urbanization. So none of these are uh, matching in sort of the the temporal rhythms that would be required in order to enable this speedy time. And here we have a quote from uh, one of the the kind of IT, uh, uh, IT professionals. Who says uh, different departments are the custodians of different data and of areas of concern. For example, transport is going to look after the development of buses, the bus shelters of the bus stops and the other IT infrastructure type that is to be developed within the buses and from the transport point of view. Likewise, some of the chapters, such as garbage collection and the composters, they are being done by municipal corporation. And thirdly, some of the projects such as junctions, etc. They are improvement of junction separators, food parts. These things are being looked after by the public works department. And as far as the IT sector is concerned, we are having the Department of IT. And it sort of goes on to say that it's very, very difficult to work together in this, even though the GIS map is supposed to be integrating all of this. Each of these departments hold different kinds of information, often in paper format, and translation of this and coordination of all of this together into digital format is highly uh, complex and contested. So this takes me to my second um, point, which is the the point of the governing of digital territorial margins. Um, And while the digital margins does not seamlessly uh, overlay on the territorial margins, there is a high degree of correlation between the digital and the territorial. So in the peripheries of metropolitan regions, for example which constitute also the territorial margins of these metropolitan regions, you see um, also the digital margins, lack of access to digital technologies, to digital infrastructure, but also to various other kinds of physical infrastructures that we know of. So um, what and how does the state or the local state govern the digital territorial peripheries in this context of uh, digitalization? And the key mechanism, of course, has been to automate urbanization in its peripheries through land appropriation, rezoning, and recategorization. As Isabel argues, digitalization seeks to manage spatial information in order to identify territories that are suitable for expansion and growth. Territory here, following following Stuart Eldon, is best understood through uh, through an examination of the relation of the state to the emergence of, a, of what he suggests, a category of space that is defined by particular ways of seeing land and terrain through digital technologies. So seeing land and terrain through the GIS platform. For Stuart Eldon, territory is a political technology. It enables a particular technical and legal apparatus of the state that is strategic. In a digitalizing state, Territory refers to the terrain of municipal power and governance charting the boundaries and borders of urbanization and metropolitan expansion through digital infrastructure or digital portals like the GIS, ESRI GIS maps. And one of these attempts in opening new territories um, has been in the digitization of land records, the cadastral maps and so on. For example, as Marina Richter has found in the Bhumi project in India's regional state of Karnataka, um, it attempted, which attempted to digitalize all of its land ownership records. But in doing so, the state charted new and hybrid constructions of the territory, both in terms of those earlier visible, invisible on property records, as well as those unable to consent to or challenge their inclusion in new updated property bases. In our work in India's small cities, these digital territorial margins are always under expansion in order to see and govern even newer territories and spaces. And so the reach and influence of the state is always expanding, particularly in the use of these digital infrastructures. And here we see uh, uh, an example of a command and control center that is that is kind of Uh, attempting to have ubiquitous vision in the way that the state sees its city, its citizens and all sorts of infrastructures in order to um, efficiently govern and manage uh, the, the working of the city. Um, This is a quote again from one of the IT professionals, and he says, I think that ICCC, which is the Integrated Command and Control Center, will be a wonderful thing to happen because I can know what's happening in the city and where. That will give me 10 extra hands to work with and a lot of information. I can't patrol the entire city daily, so this will allow me to get details and inputs from different centers, what's going on and if there are any problems. This will widen our reach, this will also improve our interaction with the public. So this is, uh, this is an IT professional who's also working very closely with the municipal commissioner and with the CEO of the smart city and therefore uh, it's uh, sort of the private sector is in a way entangled with the, with the state and, and it's very difficult to extricate them and separate them as, as, as different entities in this kind of context. Uh, And the regimes of power that are embedded in these governance of digital territorial margins, therefore, need to include these other actors and stakeholders such as these professionals who work beyond the state. And because of its digitalization imperative, the state is now in partnership with these global IT corporations, these local professionals. But the global IT corporations, particularly such as Google Maps, Google, Esri, that provide the platforms for ArcGIS, uh, gives access to vast reservoirs of data that are are and can be seen to be what is called now born digital. They're no longer starting from paper uh, documentation. They are born digital. They're directly transferred into the portals. Uh, Municipalities across the Global South have invested substantial budgets in building these digital record rooms, establishing centralized digital information systems and automated planning processes. And private corporations collecting and building these databases, therefore, not just hold power and control over the stories that are told by the state, but also how the state sees its territory and its population. They also direct real-time conversations about information across different state spaces because they are the providers of these communication infrastructures. So the capacities of private corporations enable them to not just provide the digital information infrastructures, but also build, develop, and manage new customized information infrastructures for the state. This often leaves the local state Um, in a position of path dependency and continued lack of digital capacity while it supports this new world of big governments, IT functions and their relationships with big service providers. So here we have born digital data. This is the comprehensive mapping of Jalandhar, uh, where uh, the paper documentation was set aside and it was started from scratch. Uh, And this is again a GIS consultant who's working with the local municipality. Uh, who says the most ambitious smart city project in Jalandhar is the utility mapping through ground penetration radar. It's a method through which we're able to scan the utilities up to five meters underground, depending on the construction material used. The experts then interpret the mach- image and identify what kinds of utilities are present, example, water, sewer, gas, internet cable, etc. Right now, the project is on hold because the client is not assured of 100% accuracy of data, but we can assure up to 95% accuracy. So the digitalization of local government, government, uh, even when it's born digital, it's still inconsistent, incomplete, and highly contested, and often reinforces what Veena Das and Deborah Poole in their work have called the illegibility of the state first because colonial and even post-colonial governments were built largely on paper or or colonial governments were solely built on paper which was essential for documenting and record keeping of information about its territories and therefore paper documents such as letters memos notices logs lists gazettes cadastral maps etc they are still ordinary aspects of governing territory in the global south and more fundamentally because despite increased automation of governance, the local state cannot bypass what they have as the burden of paper, which still overruns its own bureaucracies. So while the information revolution in local governance has triggered a large-scale decommissioning of paper documents, uh, but as Selen and Harper noted a, a decade ago, it is unlikely that digitalization will totally replace paper very soon. Rather the state is continuously engaged in smoothening the tensions between two seemingly asynchronous information infrastructures, one of paper on the one side, which has its files, permits, memos, et cetera. Um, And the other hand, you have the digital, that is the Wi-Fi, the secure networks, the passwords, the apps, platforms, cloud storage, smartphones, and of course, the command and control rooms. So indeed, paper as material information has become even more salient as historical facts, verifying or obscuring contested information that is born digital. So paper as material infrastructures of documentation can be transformed into spatial knowledge selectively or even in a a contested way uh, because these geospatial maps and dashboards and platforms uh, constitute only a selective way of seeing and knowing and governing. So here we have uh, another one and this is actually from Delhi's uh, smart city zone which is the central zone. Um, the, I, uh, the, the IT consultant says when it comes to physical infrastructure, improvement of road or junction or anything, if you do not empower or if you don't build the capacity in the corporation then it's impossible. And any external agency is external to them we don't know what's going on uh, the municipality know better because they're doing it every day and night it is an internal thing we can't s- suggest this but as a top-down approach iccc will be successful not the other thing so not the other kind of smart sewage system or the kind of smaller packages of of this digital infrastructures uh, and so there remains the conundrum and the paradox of uh, digitalization as urbanization, The while digitalization aims to govern territory, uh, fully govern territory by fully knowing, it can never fully know because it is always uh, relational and selective, and it always will have a contested relationship with the legacy of paper. So just to sum up then finally um uh, i today have examined the emergence of a digitalization and urbanization imperative in india and more broadly in the global south through the dynamics of its assemblage across local state spaces and scales across public and private stakeholders across paper and digital information infrastructures and also across uh, a kind of political technological and political economic terrain of the state and i want to argue that Digitalization is not just an extension of the developmental state or the neoliberal or even the welfare state. Rather, it's a fundamental reorganization of state spaces, bureaucracies, information, and territories. Um, Digitalization produces a rescaling of the state that is directed towards regional urbanisation through automated planning and governance systems. Uh, It transforms not just state-citizen relationships, but fundamentally also transforms state-state relationships and political and technological exchanges. So technology is often seen as this kind of neutral, unbiased medium, but technology itself becomes a political tool uh, in order to see and govern and know. So this is what I have called the digitalization and urbanization policies of the local state. Um, initiatives that are geared towards generating regional urbanization and digitally orientated futures by expanding the jurisdictional territory of the everyday state. Digitalization as urbanization initiatives use the apparatus of governance across two realms, one being information infrastructures and the other being digital territorial peripheries. Uh, The former entails a recalibration of the timescape of the local state space between analog forms to governance by files memos and paper into the flows of digital data across cloud platforms. And significantly this recalibration occurs not just across information infrastructures, but also across multiple state spaces seeing digitalization therefore through the mechanisms of information enables us to develop what uh, Ray Connell has talked about as southern theories of urbanization but these southern theories of urbanization so far has not looked at its uh, complex relationship with digital infrastructures and that's really my argument today that digitalization enables us to direct our attention to the entanglements of governance with digital revolution across all scales of the state that has transformed both the state and the global south and as territorial politics in the metropolitan urban peripheries. And I'll stop here, thanks.
1: Thank you. Thank you for for your very interesting presentation and all the thought-provoking ideas. Like uh, it's completely a new territory because uh, yeah, all of us are uh, very much familiar with these these digitalization experiences, but we uh, uh, are not very much sure about how it, actually unfolds or how it actually impacts the urban planning and these uh, the making of the city, because you uh, talked about the importance of understanding cities, not only as the product, but also at the as the processes of uh, city making and. You and and, and you have rightly pointed out that digitalization does not necessarily solve the problem of uh, uh, these urbanization the challenges of urbanization that most of the cities in global are are facing, and you have. Uh, just uh, mentioned some of the key points, is like you have mentioned about the uh, governments of information and infrastructure. Uh, you talked about uh, the information infrastructure are not uh, often seamless between paper infrastructure and digital inf- inform- information. And uh, it has got important implications, which has been quite evident from your presentation, uh, as far as how these are used by the state uh, to govern its citizens. You talked about these examples from B1D. Uh, 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 and uh, this is a very interesting example of how the manipulation of e-documents and the fragmented structure of data creeping, which led to some sort of conflicts and contestation of the digitalization as urbanization and ultimately making uh, the coordination, uh, which is very much essential for city making processes, impossible practically uh, when we are trying to use this digitalization to improve uh, or rather, as I mentioned, like to revolutionize this entire urban planning and uh, a policy a policy from options. And also you talked about the governing issues of uh, these digital territory, uh, governing issues of uh, digital territorial margins. For example, you give some examples of how the state is partnering with different private corporators, uh, giving them access to a huge set of data. And uh, you rightly mentioned that it gives them some important insights on how the state is saying its territory. So that's the very interesting thing and how it produces which you have mentioned the customized infrastructure at the city level though they do not always match the needs of the citizens so these are very interesting important thought and i'm sure that we have a, a very important uh, very very distinguished at panelist who will be uh, throw some more lights into your discussion so let me uh, start with professor uh, tathagata chatterjee uh, if you so please reflect on uh, professor that this presentation today. Uh, it's yeah. over to you. Uh, yes.
3: Uh, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Shomodip. Uh, it has been really a very fascinating uh, presentation by Professor uh, uh, Alma Gattu. And let's um, uh, really, I mean, uh, there had been a huge push towards digitalization in recent decades in India. And um, I mean, uh, we can trace back the, the uh, digitalization push. Uh, on the cities uh, to the JNN and URM mission, uh, which first uh, thought about improving the uh, capacity of the urban local bodies by bringing in uh, e governance. And in the state of Andhra Pradesh, particularly, there was a uh, major push um, uh, towards um, uh, VISAC, uh, turning uh, VISAC um, uh, city government capacities. Uh, in providing a whole range of uh, citizen services. Um, But um, after the 2014 uh, elections, I mean, uh, the push towards digitalization has reached a kind of, I would say, a new crescendo. Uh, So it is uh, seen as a major tool towards nation building, you know, some sort of a reimagination of uh, new India. So, uh, like you know, in, uh, Prime Minister Nehru's uh, push as uh, uh, dams and uh, power plants uh, as the um, uh, temples of modern India. So, and the digital technology has come somewhat become the uh, nation-building uh, equivalent in the present times. Um, the Amrut, uh, the successor project to JN and URM uh, has uh, again uh, given a big push to the di- uh, digitalization agenda in the cities uh, by uh, pushing for the GIS maps uh, for uh, the cities. And of course, you know, in the Smart Cities mission uh, has um, brought in new capacities through the uh, by putting in the uh, integrated command and control centers now in this uh, uh, integrated command and control centers uh, indeed you know i mean uh, became quite useful um, uh, during the pandemic times and as uh, professor that has also mentioned i mean they were uh, repurposed uh, within a very short time to the uh, Manage the quarantine, manage uh, the movement of the people, and also in some cases to deliver um, foods and and, uh, essential supplies uh, to the people. But um, when it comes to the uh, cities, particularly small and medium sized cities uh, here that we see in Odisha. uh, what we see that you mean know, in almost all cases uh, this uh, digital push are being done through by outsourcing uh, uh, the task to consultants and in uh, almost in all urban local bodies there is a consultant from uh, uh, someone from the consultants office who is sitting and who is actually in charge of uh, this uh, digitalization work, I mean, the, the point very rightly mentioned by But one question comes up here is that what does it lead to the urban local bodies? This knowledge is being created by the, uh, the knowledge is there, but I mean, it is being digitalized by the consultant, and uh, it is being managed by the consultant. So, So what is the role of the urban local body here? And does it really have the capacity to use or internalize this new knowledge? So, or it becomes more farther dependent upon the consultants. The second point that I would like to make here is that digitalization is indeed reconfiguring the the uh, role of the state, and uh, it has uh, substantially strengthened the role of the state, uh, state, and here also it is, I see that it is also leading to a further centralization, is that here that these urban local bodies are seen as only as a conduit for delivery of the uh, Delivery of the infrastructure services. So, but the capacity of the urban local bodies towards engagement of the people towards participation, those aspects are not getting emphasized. It is the, the digital aspects, the digital revolution is pushing to some extent to see the people as customers. But people are not being seen as citizens. So I mean, that is a, uh, that is another thing. I mean, we are uh, pushing towards e-governments, um, uh, but people are being seen more as customers of uh, infrastructure, but not as direct participants in the governance. So these are some of my small observations.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, professor. Uh, Chatterjee, uh, for uh, highlighting the importance of uh, the issues related to the nature and mode of knowledge creation under this uh, drive towards digitalization and also uh, the, the, the ultimately it is uh, actually facilitating the process of decentralization of the urban uh, policy and policy making. So uh, I'm sure that Professor Datta, will come back to your uh, uh, observation or, uh, on observation rightly. Uh, but uh, before uh, that, uh, let me uh, request uh, Dr. Onesha Abiti. if you please come in and share your views. Yeah, please unmute. yeah
4: sorry. Uh, yeah, sure. So I think uh, Professor Ayona correctly mentioned as to how uh, with urbanization, we should necessarily not just focus on urbanization, but then we should broaden our uh, vision of development to the periurban areas or the regional areas, and uh, it also has to be looked through the lens of digitalization, uh, and also not just smartness or digitalization. Refer to uh, a growing, uh, I mean, a growing urbanization will not just qualify as being urbanized if it's just being digitalized. Uh, Also, I believe that recently we have seen this shift from uh, analog form to a digital form also during the pandemic period when uh, we started uh, connecting to the world virtually. Uh, Also, the Smart Cities have since the onset of the Smart Cities project in 2014, uh, the concept of Uh, smartness was infused with the idea of digital uh, initiatives being put in so that uh, the basic urban service delivery was facilitated with uh, uh, certain uh, information technologies and other digital initiatives. Uh, Also, uh, as we are are talking about information infrastructure and uh, how these um, tier two cities were very important and uh, they were most uh, particularly faced by the uh, digital innovations and how they tackled. I think one of the best examples is how these smart cities kind of uh, dealt with the uh, pandemic uh, while they uh, set up the integrated command and control centers and how GIS as a platform was used primarily uh, to deal with certain issues. Um, Also the, uh, also, uh, a responsible development or planning will require some uh, robust planning uh, initiatives which will need to be updated and refined with time and uh, I guess with uh, digital technologies and with GIS I think this updation of uh, data uh, becomes really helpful and uh, this ongoing challenge has made this tool uh, very important So in various smart cities, for example, um, in my past project, I was working in Varanasi, wherein I saw that with the onset of the pandemic, they kind of uh, started uh, mapping all of their uh, infrastructure, uh, the cases which included the um, uh, deceased or the affected on their GIS platform. Also, uh, Mumbai also kind of incorporated the, uh, the uh, municipal corporation of greater mumbai also infused uh, the system of gis with their many uh, other applications such as the property tax system uh, then the um, command and control system, uh, center so this this was one of the ways wherein uh, they kind of assisted in dealing with the uh, uh, ongoing uh, activities of uh, urban services while also i think um, they kind of um, introduced various dashboards wherein uh, vital statistics were mapped. So they, that also gave a better transparency in terms of the numbers and uh, how people could see uh, the real scenario in front of them. So I think this fragmented digital revolution in the small cities kind of took a great kickstart and it pushed ahead. So yeah, uh, while with this, I wanted to understand how uh, Uh, how there is a gap between our understanding of digitalization and smartness in the smart cities. So how we could deal or how we could handle this in the future while we are planning for our urban futures or regional futures, uh, like Professor Ayana told. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing some some positives regarding how this uh, entire thrust towards digitalization can be utilized to strengthen the urban policy making and how this can be useful when bringing in the much needed transparency in uh, this entire policy framework so thank you once again for sharing your thoughts and now let us uh, move or let us uh, uh, now request a request dr Shroji chaturworthy if you please chip in and share your
4: uh, comments please unmute dr shrijoji
5: Thanks. Uh, hi everyone and thanks Professor Datta, for that uh, engaging talk. I have a few reactions um, which are you know, completely unscripted. They're just uh, you know, the thoughts that I had on, on hearing what, what you were saying, uh, the three or four of them, and I'll just uh, go in the order that they came to me. And I hope it makes sense. Uh, I mean, a lot of these are just you know, unprocessed questions they're not answers, I don't expect a, a definitive answer in this, this forum right here, but it, it's just uh, something for us all to think about, I suppose. Um, so I, I agree with you and I don't think there's anybody here who, who doesn't uh, regarding this sort of reification and, and almost fetishization of, of technology to the point where, where technology in itself seems to become the goal uh, rather than the best use to which it can be put, um, and and one of the places where you see that, for example, is is with GIS, where uh, a, a lot of good can come of it. But uh, as uh, as Professor Chatterjee just said, and as Anvishau also said. Um, The, the power of, of, GIS is, is when, uh, when you start using it for, uh, you know, when you start putting data sets into, into it that reflect the unevenness of, of social outcomes of spatial outcomes and so on. Uh, and the maps that those, those data sets can generate. Are are significantly significantly different in in terms of the information they provide decision makers than than other maps, uh, and so having GIS in itself is is not a guarantee of a of a just or sustainable outcome. Uh, we also have to use it in a in a certain manner, uh, and, and these kinds of things can be said by about you know almost all kinds of these. Uh, new, uh, new text that we're using in, in, in the, in the urban context. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. And then another, and here it's, it's, I, I don't know, it's a bit, bit of a question, I suppose. Uh, you mentioned something about asynchronicity. I don't know if that's a word, or I just made it up, but uh, asynchronicity between uh, data and uh what vision and vision of reality, the data is, is creating for decision makers or for planners versus uh, the reality on the ground and that those two things don't really match up. Uh, but just just to be a little you know provocative here. Uh, I mean wasn't that the case before tech came into the picture in a big way. And and is is the problem with tech or is is the problem, does it lie somewhere else? And and if it does lie somewhere else, maybe even partially, uh, what do we do uh, to get tech into the hands or into the mindsets where better outcomes can be reached? Uh, so that anyway so that's one second question and then a third question um, is uh, this phrase came up two or three times automation of planning and I, I just wanted to ask if it if you really meant automation of planning or automation of governance because as an urban planner I, I see the two things as not exactly the same thing um, so so I'd, I'd like to just that's just a simple clarification uh, and then fourthly um, Yeah, the point about the digital territorial margins, which, as I understand, I think you were saying that, uh, I mean, they're both kinds of marginalizations and and to an extent, they they do overlap, but not entirely, but but there are significant overlap. And I'm trying to think through that and also wondering how we read these scales. Uh, Is it that the periphery is getting further marginalized? Or is it that there is a sort of a a bigger core or an outer core occurring where there are other geographies that are even more more marginalized on the other side of the digital divide? And these peripheries and these small towns are actually quote-unquote winners in in that... uh, uh, in the payoffs of, of this implementation. Uh, and I, I, I feel like uh, uh, we we would gain a lot more by by knowing what people on the ground think the users uh, of, especially in these small towns, which are small towns, but at the periphery of big towns rather than further away. Uh, do they feel that, that they've got something out of it? Because it's it's really easy to crit- I mean, I don't mean to, to but but it's, it's it's there is a lot of critique and, and valid critique, but but isn't anything coming out of it? And and uh, and if it and if there is, then uh, how do we refocus uh, our attention towards that and not to undermine the critique, but to but to to learn from it and and, and improve things. That? Uh, that's that's all I've got. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sudhadeep, for uh, just throwing these three important questions. And now let me move over to uh, Mr. Samir Unale. If you uh, please share your thoughts. Yeah, and also I request you to uh, uh, yeah. share your thoughts within eight minutes. So please, sir. Uh,
6: yes. Yeah, so thank you, Samir uh, As someone who is working with urban governance and uh, the digital aspect of that for two decades, uh, probably. Uh, the journey of two decades has spanned in front of me in last uh, hour or so. And uh, I, I will seek forgiveness, but uh, I thought it to be a bit simplistic uh, uh, cause-effect relations drawn uh, out of the cyclone of activities that really went into uh, urban <laughs> India and the efforts of e-governance that happened, because uh, of course it's, uh, it's interesting and also amusing to know all the perspectives uh, of, uh, and especially of our academic friends, it gives a very different perspective and it is extremely important for us to understand the uh, various uh, frameworks that can be used to study uh, what normally uh, is a routine activity that we otherwise do and get entrapped by that. So I personally felt that, you know, a smart city is not about digital cities. Smartness is about using all possible resources, all possible ideas, all possible technologies, which may include uh, digital technologies, to make the cities a better place to live. For, for me, that would be a very simplistic way of understanding smartness. Uh, yes, uh, use of digital technologies is, imper- is inevitable in these uh, times, but it is not to be equated with digital cities. That was the first uh, uh, really reaction I had. Uh, and of course, as every as digital is important of every aspect, it will also be an important aspect in running a city as well as uh, various processes that a city does. Uh, secondly, I sometimes feel that you know, the way things are moving in 2020 or you know, these, these current times, I think we require some new ontology, some new epistemology to study the uh, rapid changes we are undergoing through and maybe the conceptual frameworks that we had, maybe of uh, 1950 or 1900, may be falling short to explain the entirety of the you know, complex situation that is going through. Because things, uh, the way things are moving, it might be difficult to explain in what we otherwise call as the Newtonian billiard stable universe of you know one ball hitting to another and then causing it to move. So causality may not be unilinear or monocausal. It will be multiple things happening simultaneously and affecting each other simultaneously and outcomes them as the quantum framework says, is essentially a probability. So probably uh, the way things are moving, we might have to you know, be a bit flexible to various aspects of uh, how a city would respond. Uh, thirdly, I think from uh, maybe a social uh, angle or the stratification angle, especially on digital divide, and you know, I may like to share an example that we did uh, in, when I was working as CEO Smart City and the other four occasions of Municipal Commissioner. Uh, we had done a small project, I think I shared it earlier, for tribal hamlets in the eastern parts of uh, uh, the Sanjay Gandhi National Park, uh, very very close to bivandi which was referred by Madam Minas in her talk, and uh, uh, it was a very simple study done. Uh, it was not a study, academic study per se, but done by my educational department teachers, where uh, we got the data of uh, six to seven hundred fa- tribal families living in tribal hamlets of the Sanjay Gandhi National Park, the eastern rim near the Tane. And just uh, we study the availability of, you know, uh, availability of uh, smartphones or simple phones, uh, whether they use it for, like, what is it used for? And I found that the uh, the the general uh, availability of this technology and its use was as comparable to any other group of people in uh, that part. So uh, I do have my questions when the digital divide is stretched a bit. Of course, it is there. No point denying that. But if stretching it too far, I think would be a, a bit simplistic uh, uh, interpretation of that. Uh, next, uh, I think the uh, maybe the final part as the time. Although my 20 decades, or uh, two decades can't be put into two minutes. But still, I would like to uh, share that uh, when we are looking at city, uh, the process of city, uh, what really ultimately matters is the connect of the city and the citizens. And therefore, technology being taken as something of a domineering, you know, uh, talks of digital dictatorship or over centralization or surveillance capitalism or the other words which, you know, normally come up with the uh, uh, talks of digital vis vis cities. I think it has a tremendous potential. It's a great projector and multiplier of human intents. But humanity obviously cannot uh, replace human intents. And whatever human intents are, it would be a force multiplier for that human intent. So instead of blaming the technology, we had to think of probably a a new moral framework of uh, keeping our thoughts as has been tried for last million years together without probably great success. So technology is essentially a a force multiplier and it will be used for what we want it to be used. So that that I think was an important part I felt uh, would be uh, always there and uh, uh, of course there are many detailing parts a smaller part but the uh, which can go on for very uh, the various technologies which are coming the use it is being put for uh, whether the consultants are using it or not i personally feel that you know in the collaborative framework consultants and of course this is more of a bureaucrats approach that, you know the, there is a bit of envy with the consultants you know with uh, if I, uh, maybe sometimes you always find that uh, the <clears throat> Uh, they tend to be you know, in control of situation, which I personally disagree with. Uh, we have to use all possible resources. It may be consultant, it may be a political person, it may be a social activist, it may be media, it may be RDI complaint, whoever, will have to be incorporated into the process of the uh, de- city development because uh, we cannot be prejudiced against anyone's uh, you know, views or anyone's abilities to contribute to the city. And uh, technology per se, Will of course be an important part. Digital technology will also be an important part. Certain illustrations were made of smart and the command control centers and the dashboards and GIS and you know remote control walls and robotics. Which, I think this will this detailing will of course continue. But the, if we, if you want to place all these uh, digital or uh, the technical details in a broader framework, I feel that we will have to have a new morality which will compensate for the technical technological projection of human intents so that the cities are human cities remain inclusive and the challenges of sustainability or uh, other decades other challenges that we might be facing of health of water of uh, sanitation of mobility of carbon whatever i think all these are um, a part of details and the broader framework uh, would always be to uh, have a morality for technology also. And uh, progressively, uh, I think ultimately inclusion is inevitable. We will ought to have inclusions and technology will always help inclusion and not the other way around. So uh, Sumadevji, I think uh, I will stop here with uh, uh, whatever broad uh, reactions I had. Of course, they are, as you say, not very theoretically sound or maybe not properly placed in a framework but uh, i think it was very interesting to hear uh, the professor dashta it was very good talk and i think i learned a lot a lot of uh, uh, ideas uh, while listening to her and also our other discussions when the points they were raising so thank you very much
1: thank, you. thank you mr Nal. it's always nice to hear from uh, someone like you who have experience of uh, running or managing a city for the last two decades or so uh, so uh, now it's over to uh, professor ayana for your uh, responses uh, to the comments which have been uh, uh, discussed by our panelists and also i'm saying there are three entities in the q a box so but this essentially these are not uh, questions rather these are comments so uh, if you you may see those comments and if you want you may respond. so it's over to you professor anna
2: Right. Thank you so much for all your uh, feedback and comments. And uh, really hugely useful uh, because I'm also thinking through this uh, at the same time. But also, I mean, I I just wanted to start off saying that I don't disagree with any of the comments. I mean, this is all obviously my talk is condensed in half an hour and there's a huge amount of stuff that I'm drawing on and sort of making it concise and summarizing it. So in in a sense, I don't disagree with anyone, uh, but perhaps I can take the next five minutes, five, 10 minutes or so to just kind of elaborate on some of the comments made. Um, so first of all, Tathagato uh, Chatterjee, thank you, so thank you so much um for your observations. and i and I, I really appreciate some of the questions you you posed, some of the, the observations you posed because those are things that we are we are thinking of right now um, in in all of the cities that we've been looking at. and, and Vesha is here today, and Anweisha and I have been working uh, in two of uh, in two of our projects uh, on these smaller cities. so first of uh, firstly, um, I thought I got the, you were you were asking about what it means uh, to urban local bodies when knowledge is produced and managed by consultants. Um, I touched upon this slightly, but I think I mean, and again, this is based on what what we've been finding out rather than, you know, kind of universal observation. But I think one of the key things that comes out of this process is path dependency. Um, Because the consultants are the professionals, they are the ones who actually know how to run these systems, they are the ones who create that data, uh, put that data on on, uh, these platforms, and therefore they become kind of really key to the municipal governance. Without them, the municipal commissions cannot, commissioners or municipal, the civil servants do not necessarily know how to interpret a lot of these uh, with, with kind of confidence. Um, some of them do, but the, the capacity training that needs to actually happen in the municipalities was at the time that we were there, it was really in the process. So when the ICCC was built, uh, they began to train some of the police uh, of, officials there, some of the other civil servants in order to actually how to read the feed that is coming into the ICCC, how to actually uh, issue the challenge, for example. Uh, so those kinds of things, uh, they they are a longer process, much longer process than actually fitting out something and then just going away. So the consultants remain involved in the process. And, and actually, what happens is by the time it is installed, many of these technologies become obscure. So uh, one in one case, we were told that uh, they bought all of these CCTV cameras, but by the time they managed to get all the approvals, um, and I haven't even yet gone into the governance of, you know, how these approvals happen. Uh, it's a very long process. But by the time the approvals came through, um, they found out that a new technology has come into place with these CCTV cameras, but they had to install what, was, what they had already bought. So um, it goes back again to the question of time as well. So the temporality of all of this is, is very kind of fraught. Uh, to say the least. But really, I think the summary uh, uh, summary answer to that question is, is, is a path dependency and, and uh, it's not really clear yet what that will be in the future because these are still early days in terms particularly in terms of the smart cities uh, implementation. But we can already see that this is happening and it, it is happening in a context in which civil servants are continuously transferred. So you have a situation of a municipal government where training has happened. And then this municipal commissioner, who's very liked, liked, well-liked, and we heard from a lot of civil society actors that this guy was doing a lot of great things. Uh, And then the next year he's transferred. So all of that knowledge that is being given to the municipal government uh, is lost because knowledge rests with people. And if people change, keep switching uh, all the time, you have another new person coming who has to relearn all of this. So where does that lead the professional? Where do they, you know, how long do they stick around? So there is that uh, question. Um, Then there is a question of centralization. And again, I I totally agree. There is a lot of centralization and we heard this been said a lot that ULBs are becoming more uh, implementers rather than decision makers. Uh, But the point about participation is again, very true. Um, participatory process, I believe, is an ongoing process. It doesn't end at the point of commissioning the city. And that's where it was really visible, where uh, the smart cities um, competitions uh, started, when, when they actually had to put together the documentation saying that we have uh, enabled in a participatory process. Now, you can also unpack that process and critique it. But you know, let's say participatory processes happened at the point of um, applying for smart cities funding. Uh, but it doesn't end there and in many cities it has actually ended there. Uh, once they have the projects in place, the consultation process, the participatory process has been kind of stalled uh, or broken and, and that's that's leads to a loss of goodwill among citizens and and civil society actors. Um, so there's there's that. Um, I, and, and then of course I, I just need to kind of say that smartness is not the same. Smart, smartization or smart cities is not the same as digital cities or digitization. Uh, There are overlaps, but smart cities is a very small part of digitization and digital cities are a very small part of smart cities. So there there are overlaps, but they're not the same. So, Anvisha, your point about the connection between smartness and digital features is again very, very true. Uh, It is really interesting, and perhaps here is where I can bring in Samir and Halle's comments as well, because I think they are connected. Thank you very much for your comments. As I said, I'm, um, I I don't know if you, uh, if you, how you saw that it was a cause and effect, because I was not arguing about a cause and effect at all. Uh, I was arguing about a linked effect between digitalization and urbanization. They're not cause and effect at all, Um, and sometimes they do run in parallel. But I think uh, the the question of the smart city is important here because if smart is often seen in policy to be digital, um, it's because it has its legacy of a term that's been borrowed from a Western concept. The IBM smart cities which came about was about ubiquitous digitalization and governance and efficiency and management through digital platforms and infrastructures. And that's where also the ICCC concept came through. When it hits India, it becomes a localized concept and rightfully so, and so the the guidelines say that every city has its uh, choice to decide how it will become smart, and so the digital. aspect of it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller And, 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 in fact, even after the projects are commissioned, you see, in some cases the digitalization is removed altogether, but it doesn't take away from the fact that smart cities is a a concept that has come from the West in this case. It's not a locally bred concept, although it's been translated locally. Uh, And therefore the kind of the digital nature of it is there always, it it has always been there even in the competition. Um, A lot of the participatory processes highlighted several suggestions for cities, but some of those were not taken up in projects because they didn't have a digital component uh, in order to solve them. So that's where, that's where I think we do need to think about digital when we think about smart, but not necessarily as a cause and effect or necessarily as one uh, one or the same. They are separate processes uh, because digitalization of governance is a whole new process than making a digital city or a smart city. Um, and so that that leads me nicely on to Shirojit. Shirojit, thank you so much for your comments. and again, I don't really disagree with any of them. I don't think you were disagreeing either with me. Um, this is about uh, you know, sort of detailing and uh, enriching what I already said. Um, with the GIS, yes, they, they use the the use power of the visual is definitely there. And that's what I was suggesting as well. So it, it, it enables the state, but also the professionals, also the urban elite to see and, and engage in processes of saying, well, I don't want that here near my neighborhood. Um, so that also happens. But I think the, 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 the GIS also is, is in itself very fraught. Uh, because, uh, I mean, as, as we found out when we were doing this kind of historiography of, of the city, because we felt it was really important to understand how the kind of social demographic profile has changed with the kind of uh, physical geography of it. What we realized is it's very difficult to do, very difficult to achieve continuity between different decades, because even though the census data is there, even though the kind of physical infrastructure is there, the ward boundaries have changed. Um, and when the word boundaries change, you cannot say that things have changed, because the boundaries of the geography has itself changed the, the kind of ontological reality of the geography has changed. So um, the, the data sets that it generates, then becomes, uh, creates a lot of tension with the histories of the data that was there before, because you can say, well, you look, you know, we've done a born digital data we've done like this laser surveys etc and this is the truth because all of that that has happened before um, cannot be verified because everything has changed over the years uh, and, and it becomes then uh, a way of negotiating of of the kind of what is the truth and, and if that is the truth then this is how we need to address it so that politics of information infrastructures becomes even more fraught when there isn't consistency in um, the geographies of the city itself over ve- very many decades. Uh, and then therefore digital can occupy that space, which then makes it really, really legitimate. Um, so yeah, in a sense, it's not new, uh, but it also, what it does is it creates the kind of intensity and the, the politics of um, legitimacy. Uh, it, it makes it much more complicated in when, when the kind of GIS data comes in, um, and the asynchronicity. Yes, there are the, you know again the asynchronicity between data and reality has always been there. You know if you see colonial maps, colonial railways, colonial uh, you know ways of mapping and knowledge as power. You see there are things left out. You see, see there are things there. Um, you see earlier maps where slums were you know just kind of empty space. Yes, that's there. Uh, but I think there is, there is. It's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily a problem with tech. But at the same time, you know, going back to what I said before, uh, the, the the sense that mapping with digital will make it really fast uh, is what makes it even more asynchronous. So, uh, and that leads also to your point about the automation of planning. Uh, Yes, there is this question, and I think the the question of bringing in digital was highly valorized because digital would make planning faster, more seamless, more transparent, less corrupt, uh, all of that. So the notion of speed is inherently embedded in the notion of digital infrastructure. And that's where I think the asynchronicity becomes even more pronounced when you see the advent of digital systems and digital platforms. Um, so the, I, the idea of automated planning was that it would give speedy approvals, approvals within five days uh, because you're doing everything online and so it's transparent, people can see that there, no corruption has happened, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But of course, it doesn't always work like that, as we all know. Um, and then finally, the, the point about digital territorial margins. Um, uh, the, whether this is uh, peripheral marginalization, whether there's an outer core. Um, And this is is an idea that we're still developing, looking at the digitization of peripheries, regional features, and I think so far as we've got, uh, I would argue um, it's a kind of nested periphery. I think we need to think about peripheries as nested. So you have the periphery within the city, which are the slums, informal settlements. They are a periphery within within the core. Um, They're also digital peripheries. Uh, within the core because, you know, you may not have access to mobile network, even though you might have a mobile phone, you may not know how to use these apps, even though you have the app installed, etc. But you may also have the digital, the urban periphery where the infrastructure hasn't reached yet. But, you know, let's say again, let's take the example of Bivendi. Bivendi is a really good case of that nested periphery. Bivendi has been bypassed for a very long time by the MMRDA Regional Development Plan. You know, all the other cities get investment, Vivendi doesn't, it loses out, it has these power loom sectors. But what we're seeing now is a periphery of this periphery. So Bivendi has remained peripheral to the MMRDA region, but Bivendi has its own periphery of this agricultural hinterland. That actually is gaining, um, and again, you asked this question, are there winners? Uh, there, are, I mean, I don't know. I want to see it, whether I want to see it as a binary of winners and losers. But uh, these village panchayats around Bhimundi are gaining because these are where the e-commerce warehouses are going. Because it's easier for them to get permission to get there into the villages than actually putting themselves in the Bhimundi metropolitan area. Um, and so the panchayats have gained a lot by giving their land away but uh, who have not gained is the agricultural community because their land's been taken away uh, or they have sold it for really low quality, low grade precarious service sector work in these e-warehouses. So there are no winners and losers. There are all sorts of shades in between, Uh, but, I think, I think I would argue that these are nested peripheries. There are peripheries within peripheries and peripheries within cores and cores within peripheries that we see. And it's, it's far more complicated than, you know, geographically saying this is the core and that's the periphery and, and you know, let's try and fit them there. Um, so, yeah, and, and like you said, of course, the digital margin and the, peri- the, the territorial margin do not necessarily always overlap. I mean, you see in the peripheries in Vivendi also, there are, you know, very strong um, elite uh, digital access um yeah i think i'll i'll leave it there i hope i've answered and addressed all the feedback and comments but if there's anything please come yes. back to me
1: yes. if you if you also please can see some some of the one uh, but, uh, yes uh, in q a section there is one <clears throat> specific comments by katie Ravindran that's about this market colonialism industrial colonialism and digital mercantile colonialism and the second question from is i think anastri gupta it's about uh vivandi experience and how the presence of these e-commerce houses impact the process of this entire digitalization and urbanization. So your quick thoughts on it.
2: Mm -hmm. And there's another one before as well about Korea. I mean, I don't know anything about Korea. I, I don't know if Korea is the model here, whether it should be the model here. I know about Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan is claimed as they are fully digitalized, but as I know from my collaborators and and work we're doing in Taiwan, uh, they're not, they're having so much trouble with paper. Um, The paper from the kind of Japanese and Chinese occupation, uh, which is creating a lot of conflicts with their full GIS uh, document uh, digitalization of municipalities. Katie, yes, I agree with you. Definitely. Um, I don't know if I can add anything to this. Whether I don't know whether whether I want to put labels of mercantile or industrial or um, it's all sorts. Uh, but yes, uh, we may have come full circle and going around in circles. I'm not sure. But yes, I agree with you, Katie. Um, Anish I have a question regarding a brief mention of the presence of e-commerce platform warehouses. I, I want to know how their presence in particular impacts the processes of digitalization and urbanization. Uh, right, okay, okay. And that leads me also to think about one of Samir uh, Unhale's point about whether we are kind of valorizing the digital divide. I would say not. I think the digital divide is not as simple as um, have and have not. It is more about the kind of layering again, uh, and it's intersectional. So women, minority communities, class, uh, these have a strong impact on how people use the, the digital. And so going back to the uh, question about Bhivandi, we did a survey with uh, about 300 young women in Bhivandi uh, about the use of the mobile phone. And particularly in, in 2020, 2021, when you had the lockdowns. And what comes across is not that whether they have the phone or they don't have the phone, that what comes across is even if they have the phone, they're not allowed to use it because you have family, kinship, society, all of this having an impact on the power to use the phone and what you can do with the phone. Um, and even if you have the phone, whether you have it in your own possession or not. Uh, so uh, the digital divide is is kind of really complex. It's not just whether you have a phone and whether you can use it or, or not. It's how you use the phone that determines your relationship then with the state or with, with the platform or with the uh, global corporations. And in the context of Bivendi, uh, you know that's related to Anishri's question about the e-commerce platforms. So um, a lot of the young women that we surveyed do not want to work in these e-commerce platforms because of kind of the way the society is structured. They, it's kind of seen as is not good work. So they really want to get work in other kinds of service sector the e-commerce platforms the e-commerce warehouses particularly employ migrants and this is the floating population who are not counted in the census and the migrant workers who used to be initially men men, who used to come and work in the power looms have now realized that the e-commerce warehouses actually are very positive towards employing women so now they're bringing their the wives and daughters and sisters etc from their villages in bihar and orissa etc to work in these e-commerce warehouses so you have a really high floating population supporting the the economy of pivendi with the power looms and actually the economy of e-commerce in india in these warehouses and this is something just you know really interesting and you can't again see that as one thing re- leading to another it's a kind of really long and complex set of processes even around migration, migratory routes, etc., that leads to this sort of assemblage of people and assemblage of capital and assemblage of warehouses and, and making Bhuvan, bhivandi like the node of um, e-commerce node of Amazon delivery services. I don't know, I mean in India if you order from Amazon I believe you see it's coming from Burundi. Uh, I've been told uh, by many of my collaborators that you, you get this notice that it's been assembled in Burundi. So think about it, um, uh, that, that labor, that gig work that's been done in these warehouses are, are, are a whole lot of floating population that relies on migratory routes. Uh, and that's also very highly gendered. That's all I can say right now. I mean, this is a continuous process. I don't know enough about it to say anymore.
1: So no, yeah, thank you. And uh, the topic today is so engaging and uh, you have uh, covered so many complex issues within a very short period of time. And I think we need maybe if your time permits another uh, full session on each of the issues which you have discussed uh, so far in today's presentation. So it's really engaging and the kind of discussion that we have today, uh, it's I think it's stimulating and it gives us a much more food uh, for thoughts and we will hope to have some more uh, discussion on these issues because yeah absolutely because nobody of us knows how wh- what the future will hold and how uh, these cities and citizens customers and and the governments will respond and as we as through this digitalization a new generation of solutions are actually emerging and uh, which requires some kind of focused approach to unlock its true potential and uh, maybe 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 a kind of kind of balanced approach uh, which remains the key to Managing the ship from uh, this kind of centralized approach to a more citizen-centric, more decentralized model to to unlock the full potential of this digitalization and its impact on this uh, urbanization and urbanization. So once again, on behalf of uh, this Impact and Policy Research Institute, I uh, thank you. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity to 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 listen to you, and I'm really uh, thankful uh, to uh, Professor Ayana Datta for his uh, our remarks and also also um, we are we are thankful to all the panelists today uh, 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 the uh, uh, dr shruthi chakraborty professor chatagoto chatterjee uh, uh, dr arni Aditi, mr samir unhale and also we are thankful to all the uh, uh, all the all the all the, all the uh, yeah I'm thankful to all the Uh, attendees who are listening to us and i'm seeing many of them uh, uh, yes so they have joined so they have also uh, uh, they have also participated in our earlier program as panelists so we look forward to have you in our future city conversation series as well so uh, uh, yes so it's a wonderful opportunity for us to listen to you once again we are very much thankful and also we are thankful to all of us who have joined through uh, online uh, streaming like facebook and all the other online stuffs so that's all that's all from our audience. so we are really thankful to once again to all of you yeah uh,
2: and thank you again to impri and somdeep and uh, and, yeah. and all the panelists and attendees mm-hmm. thanks for your questions thanks for your comments yeah. I'm, I'm deeply grateful
1: thank you thank you so much yeah